Hi friends, it's Pastor Drew Wilkerson from Bridgewater Church. Hey, thanks for stopping by this podcast. It's our prayer that as you listen, God will speak to your heart and you will feel inspired and you'll learn new things that will help you in your daily walk with God and just in life in general. So again, thanks for stopping by and thanks for listening. Hey Bridgewater family and happy Mother's Day. My name is Liz and I am the children's pastor and the young adult pastor here at Bridgewater Church and we are so glad that you have chosen to spend a special day with us together. Today is a day to celebrate all of those people in our lives who nurture and love and care and serve so selflessly, whether they are biological mothers or not. Maybe today is a busy, happy day full of activity for you and your family. Or maybe today is more of a day filled with longing. Maybe it's longing to spend time with a mother who's no longer with you. Or maybe it's longing for a childhood that was different than what you expected. Or longing for a life that was more like what you expected or hoped for. We all have expectations of of what our lives could have or should look like. And some of those expectations come from something that was literally spoken over us, maybe by uh, a friend or a parent or a mentor or a partner. Some of our expectations come from comparison to the rest of our family, to our neighbors, to the strangers that we follow on the internet, maybe even to the people that we sit next to at church. And some of those expectations come straight out of the Walt Disney Company itself. This morning, I want to talk a little bit about a topic (laughs) that moms of littles know far too much about, the idea of fairy tales. You know all about fairy tales, the castles, the princes, the villains, the predictability. And if we're honest, there's probably a part of you, like the parts of me, that believe this. Growing up, I developed this illusion that that if I did everything right, if I made the right choices, if I woke up early to do devotions, if I led small groups, if I went on missions trips and led worship, that this fairy tale life that God had planned for me would just kind of happen as planned. And, And none of those dreams were bad things. In fact, those experiences have taught me more about God and more about myself. But here's the thing. God never promised us a fairy tale life. This probably isn't new information to you. By now, most of you have realized that the person that you married isn't a serenading Prince Charming or the free-spirited princess with magical long hair. The journey into the long, dark woods isn't full of helpful talking animals. And the scary scene lasts much longer than the few brief moments of fear that we experience as Mirabelle and Encanto is hanging off of that sandy cliff. The house never repairs itself, and the carriage that was supposed to whisk you away to the ball has been transformed into a minivan of giggling toddlers or smelly preteens or stale waffle fry crumbs, and there is no cloud of glitter announcing the arrival of a fairy godmother. Whether you're living in some monotony of the day-to-day or disappointment over dreams that you haven't yet seen or the presence of an unexpected villain, it's so easy to become disenchanted with the real life that we're living. 
Honestly, I wish that I could tell you that you get to be the princess or the prince, that we'll always beat the villains, or that all of your dreams will come true, but God never promised any of those things. They're ideas that were created by the culture around us. And Jesus never said that life would be a fairy tale. So over the next few minutes, we're going to take a look at some of these fairy tale mindsets that you get to be a prince or princess, that you'll always beat a villain, or that all of your dreams will come true. And we're going to examine them in light of the promises that the Bible really does make us. So this first mindset is the idea that we get to be the prince or the princess. For years in college, I taught preschool over the summers. And if you've ever watched a group of four and five-year-olds play dress up, you've seen that there is something inherent in each of us that believes that we are the protagonists of our own stories. And you better believe that we had more than one prince or princess costume in my classroom's imaginative play center. Fights would ensue when there was only one tiara or one crown or one sword for all of the valiant princes. I developed a pretty common script for the moments when one of my friends would break down into tears while waiting for their turn to play the coveted role. I would tell them that they looked like a prince or a princess to me and that they would have a turn soon and then I would just kind of hope for the best. The best would never happen and inevitably I would end up with a five-year-old in tears and they would throw a fit until the current royal's five-minute reign was over. Now, I don't typically cry over tiaras at this point in my life, but there are moments when I feel like throwing a toddler-style fit. I just want to throw myself on the ground and wail that it's just not fair. But the Bible never promised that I would get to be the princess. When was the last time that you felt that way? Maybe it was less of a momentary dramatic fit and more of a general nothing is working out the way that I hoped kind of thing. This morning, we're going to spend time following two women in the Gospels who I think experienced these kinds of feelings on more than one occasion and whose stories actually do have a lot of fairy tale components. Jealousy, death, doubt, hope, love, surprise, a moral of a story moment, and even a woman whose combination of tears and long hair had power. The first place that we encounter them together with Jesus is in Luke Chapter 10, verse 38 through 41. I'm reading from the Common English Bible. While Jesus and his disciples were traveling, Jesus entered a village where a woman named Martha welcomed him as a guest. She had a sister named Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his message. By contrast, Martha was preoccupied with getting everything ready for their meal. So Martha came to him and said, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to prepare the table all by myself? Tell her to help me. The Lord answered, Martha, Martha, you are worried and distracted by many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the better part, and it won't be taken away from her. Martha is having an it's not fair moment. While the party is happening, she is doing all of the things that needed to be done. It is the closest to a Cinderella pre-fairy godmother moment that I've seen in Scripture. And all the while, Mary is embracing the situation in a very different way. She sits at the feet of Jesus, and she soaks in everything that he has to say. 
In a separate passage in the Gospel of Luke, we even see Mary anointing Jesus' feet with an expensive perfume, something that is only meant for royalty, and then wiping them clean with her hair. How about you? Are you worried and distracted by many things? Are you feeling like the role of the princess or the prince has been bestowed on someone else? How do we see Jesus respond here? He, he doesn't leave Martha to just throw a fit, but he also doesn't immediately fix all of her problems. He calmly listens, and then he reminds her that one thing is necessary. And that one thing, keeping our eyes on Jesus, is still applying to our lives today. Friends, it's, it's not about getting the meal just right or using all of our extra home time to be super productive. It's about laying down our tiaras, our expectations, our perfumes at the feet of Jesus. The Bible doesn't promise that we will get to be the prince or the princess in all of the ways that the world draws us to, but, and this is a little bit of a spoiler alert, it does say that we will be heirs in a different kind of kingdom. But that comes later in the story. The second common fairy tale mindset that I think we have sometimes is the idea that we will always beat the villain. The second time that we encounter Mary and Martha in the Gospels, we find them in a much less joy-filled moment. Let's look at John chapter 11. A certain man, Lazarus, was ill. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This was the Mary who anointed the Lord with fragrant oil and wiped his feet with her hair. Her brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, saying, Lord, the one whom you love is ill. Our characters are facing a villain. And in the movies and children's books, these villains are fairly obvious with their, their pointed features and their scarred faces and the scary music that always accompanies them everywhere they go. But villains in real life tend to show up at inconvenient times and in very unexpected ways. Villains with names like cancer and depression, job loss and heartbreak. And they can knock the wind out of us and they can blur our vision. Have you ever prayed fervently for something that never happened the way that you hoped it would? We've probably all been touched by stories of tragedy that don't seem like they make any sense. It can be hard to wrap our minds around some of the enemies around us and the unfairness with which they attack. In fairy tales, we have come to just expect that the villain will be vanquished. But God never promised us that we would beat all of our earthly villains in the ways that we expect. This is true here in the story of Lazarus. Instead of rushing to the home of Lazarus, Jesus waits Let's look at the next part of the story in chapter 11, verses 4 through 13. When he heard this, Jesus said, This illness isn't fatal. It's for the glory of God, so that God's Son can be glorified through it. Jesus loved Martha, her sister, and Lazarus. And when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed where he was. After two days, he said to his disciples, Let's return to Judea again. And then more drama and opposition enters the plot. Let's keep reading. The disciples replied, Rabbi, the Jewish opposition wants to stone you, but you want to go back? And Jesus answered, aren't there 12 hours in the day? Whoever walks in the day doesn't stumble because they see the light of the world. But whoever walks in the light or in the night does stumble because the light isn't in them. 
He continued, Our friend Lazarus is sleeping, but I am going in order to wake him up. And the disciples said, Lord, if he's sleeping, he will get well. They thought Jesus meant that Lazarus was in a deep sleep, but Jesus had spoken about Lazarus' death. Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. So at this point, we learn that there are villains all over the place, even in Jesus' story here. Jesus has enemies that are after him. Lazarus is not only ill, but Jesus makes it very clear that he has died. I don't love cliffhangers like this. Let's keep going. In verse 15, it says, For your sakes, I'm glad I wasn't there so that you can believe. Let's go to him. Then Thomas said to the other disciples, Let us go too so that we may die with Jesus. Now listen. I don't know the Greek word study on this passage, but I do know that Thomas has quite a reputation for doubt. Remember Thomas from two weeks ago? He was like the star of our Without a Doubt series. I can only imagine that I would have had a similar reaction to that of Lazarus, almost one of resignation. He throws his hands up and sarcastically says, all right, cool, this is impossible and quite frankly dangerous, let's go. And what about Mary and Martha? They're living in the grief and the reality of the fact that it totally looks like the villain has won. The following verses tell us that when Jesus arrived, finally, Lazarus had already been dead for four days. We talked about this moment just a few weeks ago too. Four days. They lived in four days of doubt. Four days of shock, four days of defeat, four days of wondering where Jesus, who said that he loved them, had been. In fact, when Jesus finally does arrive, Mary initially doesn't even come out of the house. Martha says in verse 21, Lord, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. Even now, I know that whatever you ask God, God will give you. How do you react? when the unexpected villain shows up, or when the hero doesn't arrive when you thought that they would. I think that too often, I react as I am picturing Mary to have acted here. Instead of going to Jesus with my pain and my bewilderment, I stay in the house. He didn't come through in the way that I expected him to. I stay inside or wonder where he was or what I've done or haven't done in order to find myself in this situation. Have you ever just stayed inside the house. I'm not talking about needing rest or needing alone time or taking time to grieve a loss. Those things are entirely healthy and necessary. I'm talking about staying in the house after the fact and fixating on the things that are not from God. These might be mistakes that you've made in the past or ways that you've been hurt or challenges that feel too overwhelming to face in the daylight. Friends, staying in the house when Jesus is inviting you to more is what causes resentment and loneliness and bitterness. You are the protagonist of your story, fairy tale or not, and you get to make choices about how the script is going to read. Do you stay inside and try to carry your own disappointment and doubt, or do you go outside and look Jesus in the eye? Here's the promise. Jesus can handle it. He can handle our lament. He can handle our questioning, which both Mary and Martha do. And he invites us to trust in his goodness. 
Here, in a moment when all hope appeared to be lost, Martha responds with even now. In our even now moments, when the villain has won, we have the same choice to make. Are we going to trust that God is present and moving, even now in our loss, even now in our exhaustion, even now in our moments of isolation? God has a plan for good, even when it doesn't look like what we expected, which leads us to our final fairy tale expectation. I think we can often have this mindset that all of our dreams will come true. Now, Jesus doesn't follow up by asking Martha what she would like for him to do. He doesn't offer to grant three wishes or to have a magic spell or to give the map to the buried treasure. As it turns out, the Bible doesn't say that all of our dreams will come true. Jesus never promises that it will turn out the way that we expected. And although we don't know the exact time frame, the narrative that we just read took place not long before Jesus would be crucified. That was certainly not the way that the disciples expected things to play out. They were expecting their Messiah to be a king, and their only understanding of kingship was this earthly picture of wealth and of power and of victory. The dreams that they had were not playing out in the ways that they had expected. Hard truth time. Not all of our dreams are from God. Let that sink in for a moment. Not all of our dreams come from God. We glorify the fairy tale, the success, the American dream, the straight A, athlete, musician, emotionally balanced child. And this isn't to say that those are all bad things, but they aren't the ultimate end goal. God's end goal is healing and his wholeness and his restoration of individuals and of relationships and even of systems. And to be honest, our dreams just don't always align with that. Dreams are not bad. We should have them. We should hope for them. Do I dream of the day when I will be finished with my master's work? Yes. Do I dream of financial freedom? Yes. Do I dream of marriage and family someday? Yes. But these desires must be properly ordered in relation to our desire for God. So how do we respond to God in these moments of disenchantment? when the dreams seem lost, or when it's hard to dream at all. Let's look at how Martha responds to Jesus in chapter 11, verses 23 to 27. And Jesus told her, your brother will rise again. Martha replied, I know that he will rise in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me will live, even though they die. Everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? And she replied, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, God's Son, the one who is coming into the world. She hasn't seen Lazarus walk out of the tomb yet. And she certainly couldn't predict what would happen in the days to come yet. When Jesus asks, Do you believe this? She responds with, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, God's Son, the one who is coming into the world. Martha's response shows the evidence of this. She doesn't ask how it's going to happen. She doesn't tell him to do it right now. She simply believes. In our moments of fear and of doubt, 
we can choose to respond with faith. This is, this is what we've been learning over the past six weeks. Not that we're expected to live our lives without a moment of doubting, but that in the moments when we do, and those moments certainly will come, we can trust without a doubt that God is near. We can choose to trust that, that God is working for good even in our hardest of circumstances, a good that's better than our, than our wildest fairy tale dreams. God's heart is moved by our brokenness. We see in verse 1133 that Mary and the other mourners who were with her cried as they came to Jesus and they took him to the tomb where Lazarus was buried. And Jesus was so deeply disturbed by this that he even begins to cry too. Jesus understands pain. He understands suffering. He weeps with those who weep. He's not distant. He sees disappointment and heartbreak, and it moves the heart of God. We will have doubts. We will face disappointments, and there will be unexpected twists in our stories. God never promised that we would always beat the villain or, or that we would always play the part of the prince or the princess, but friends, there is very good news at the end of this story. We are promised a happily ever after. Let's pick up where we left off in the Lazarus story. Jesus is now standing at the tomb of his friend and he's surrounded by mourners. I love the realness of what happens next. In verse 39, Jesus says, remove the stone. And Martha, the sister of the dead man said, Lord, the smell will be awful. He has been dead for four days. What I love about this is that, that this is the same Martha who said that she entirely believed in who Jesus is. She heard him say that he would raise her brother from the dead, yet she hasn't embraced fully the reality of the miraculous things that God is capable of doing. What miracles do you need in your own life? Where can God's glory really be shown off? He's in the business of making incredible, impossible things happen. Look at how he responds to Martha and take it as a response to your own doubt. Jesus replied, didn't I tell you that if you believe, you will see God's glory? He reminds her of his promises, that God's glory will come. There will be a happily ever after. And after this reminder, the people begin to act. It tells us in verse 41 that they removed the stone. They put away fear, and they put away timidity, and they stopped waiting around, and they began to move in a direction of hope. I think there are times in each of our lives when we wait too long for reminder after reminder after reminder of God's promise, which he graciously gives when we're actually being called by God to act in a direction of hope, to roll the stone away and expect that God's glory is going to be shown who cares how gross we think it's going to smell in there? I remember a few years ago when I was struggling with some financial decisions and I knew that there were going to be some things that I had let sit unopened for too long, hoping that somehow they would just magically disappear. Fairy tales, you know? And I had noticed that a friend of mine had begun to do some financial coaching and, and I knew in my mind that this would be helpful. I'd even prayed that God would bring someone alongside of me with the wisdom that I needed, but the idea of actually digging in to the junk that I had let build up and letting someone else really see it was terrifying. She wasn't going to just show up on my doorstep. 
And so it took me reaching out and being vulnerable, rolling that stone away to begin to step into some breakthrough. If you're needing breakthrough in an area of your life, ask God what stones you need to roll away. He will give you the strength that you need, and he will help make the miracle happen. As the story of Lazarus continues, we see Jesus thanking the Father. Let's read it together. Let's read it together. Jesus looked up and said, Father, thank you for hearing me. I know you always hear me. I say this for the benefit of the crowd standing here, so that they will believe that you sent me. And having said this, Jesus shouted with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out, his feet bound and his hands tied and his face covered with a cloth. And Jesus said to them, untie him and let him go. Therefore, many of the Jews who came with Mary and saw what Jesus did and believed in him. This therefore, at the culmination of this incredible moment, is very telling. The whole point of the Lazarus narrative is not that Lazarus was miraculously raised from the dead, which is pretty incredible, but that God's plan is revealed in Jesus and that people came to believe. Therefore, they saw what Jesus did. Therefore, people came to believe. When we look back at our hardest moments in light of God's plan, at our darkest moments of doubt, we will be able to see the therefore. Therefore, my friend came to know Christ. Therefore, we spent more intentional time together as a family. Therefore, I realized a calling to ministry. Therefore, I was healed from trauma. God has a good plan for a happily ever after. And it's, it's a plan for a very new kind of kingdom, a kingdom in which we, the children of God, are heirs to an eternal inheritance. It's a kingdom that's coming even now, even in the midst of messy houses, of complicated politics, of tumultuous relationships. It's a kingdom where love for neighbor shows the love of Jesus in tangible ways, where health is in place of sickness, where it's a kingdom of peace, not of anxiety, of joy, not of sorrow. And it's a kingdom that will never end because Jesus has already defeated the ultimate villain, death. He makes the same promise to us that he makes to Martha. I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me will live even though they die. Everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. There is a happily ever after. And you and I have the choice to embrace it even now. John 3.16 tells us that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. And this morning, we can respond like Martha. Maybe affirming a commitment that we made a long time ago, or maybe for the very first time, Jesus is asking us, do you believe this? If you believe, if you are ready to embrace peace and wholeness through Christ, I'm going to invite you to stand, even, even right where you are at home, right now, and to read the words of Martha with me. Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, God's Son, the one who is coming into the world. Everyone who lives and believes in Christ will never die. If that isn't the best way to say, and they all lived happily ever after, I don't know what is. This kind of real life is better than any fairy tale. It's eternal. If you made a decision 
for Christ today. Or, or if you just want to talk about more of what all of this means, please reach out to us in the chat. Reach out to us on any of our online platforms. Call the church office. We would love to hear from you and to celebrate transformation and walk this journey together. As we close this morning, I would love to take a moment to, to pray together and I want to ask a special blessing over each mothering heart that's a part of our community. So many of you embody this love of Christ with your own little princes and princesses every day. And we truly are thankful for you. We, we see your tired eyes and your creative minds and your concerned hearts. And we carry this with you. For those of you who are praying for little ones to be added to your families, we honor that and we petition alongside of you. For those of you who are grieving the loss of a child or who are missing a mother this morning, we celebrate their precious lives with you. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, you are a good God. And we thank you for your faithfulness, for your promises to us. We thank you that you walk with us in our doubt, that you walk with us in our grief, God, and that you wait outside the door, even in the moments when we make choices to stay inside. God, I ask that today especially that you would remind us of your presence. God, that you would help today be full of, of peaceful moments and of joyful memories, God, and that we would be reminded that even though life doesn't always look like a fairy tale, that you have promised us something even greater. God, thank you for the gift of eternal life with you. And for the kingdom that comes even now in our earthly moments when you promise to be near to us and when we come together as a community. Jesus, we love you and we thank you for your glory that is shown in lives that are transformed. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Bridgewater family, happy Mother's Day. We are so honored to get to spend parts of it with you. Until we see you again, take heart and be transformed. Hey friends, thanks for listening. And if you want to be a part of our e-family, then all you have to do to join us is click the link below and you can check us out on our YouTube page. You can also join us on social media. And if you'd like to support the ministry, then just click the link to give. We're so grateful for all of our partners and together we can do more than we can alone. So again, thanks to all of you for listening to this podcast and also thank you for helping us reach people around the world for Jesus Christ.